Hey you guys, doing another Tomes of Terror book review. Sorry I haven't been doing as many of these uh, lately, but any of you guys that have been around for a long time know that, you know, I actually ended up having to get a full-time job, so I don't have as much time to read books, and I also don't have as much time to make videos about them either, but I am going to try and, you know, keep up with them and maybe at least do, you know, one a month or more if I can uh, manage it. So this book right here, um, now I'm a graphic designer by trade, have been for about a quarter century at this point because I'm old as shit. Um, so maybe, I don't know, so maybe it's like a little self-serving of me to say that book covers are really, really important, you guys. You know, just because I'm biased in that regard, because like I said, I'm, I'm a graphic designer, that doesn't mean that the statement isn't absolutely true. For example, uh, the book that I'm talking about today, uh, the... 2020 novel The House That Fell From the Sky uh, by Patrick Delaney. It was actually the cover design that was a significant component in why I particularly chose to read it like while I was scrolling through all the Kindle Unlimited options. Um, now I'll admit the intriguing title, The House That Fell From the Sky, that's a great title. Um, that kind of like hooked me into, but the cover design is is chef's kiss. It's it's really, really good. Um, the designer, by the way, is named Ross Nischler. Nischler or Nischler. I'm not really sure how you pronounce his last name, so I apologize for that. But I definitely wanted to give him a shout out because I, I really, really like the cover of this. It's dynamite. Now, I am going to say that even though I, I feel like the story within the covers didn't quite live up to the awesomeness like of the exterior package, but it was still a pretty solidly entertaining read for people who are maybe into haunted house stories, but that have like kind of a cosmic horror twist to them. So the house that fell from the sky, it revolves around four friends who I think are kind of like all in their late 20s, early 30s type of age bracket. Now at times, the dialogue between them kind of sounds more like discussions had by teenagers, perhaps. Um, this isn't necessarily a criticism, by the way. Um, you know, I'm 50 years old and I still have conversations like this because, you know, I'm kind of immature and I'm not really ashamed of that fact. Um, I did see that some reviewers say that the book read like a YA. I don't really concur with that assessment overall. Um, it is like a pretty easy kind of breezy read with wisecracking characters who were constantly snarking at one another. But that was like a big thing that I saw a lot of people mentioned in their reviews that they thought the characters came across more like teenagers than people in their late 20s. Like I said, that didn't bother me, but I'm just saying that that's something that a lot of people notice. So if that's gonna bother you, then maybe the characters will bother you in this novel as well. So our main protagonist, is Scarlett Van Tassel. She is a somewhat successful, I kind of feel like horror YouTuber, like she talks about horror and like reviews horror movies and stuff like that. It's you know, kind of like what I do. But she has found herself kind of, I guess, sort of like adrift in life at 29 years of age. Now, she grew up in this city named called Winterview, but I guess she always sort of like had bigger aspirations. She always like dreamed of bigger and better things. Now, at some point, a few years back, prior to the events of the novel, she actually ran off with this guy that she met. She didn't really run off with him, but they like, they started a relationship and then like she went to another town with him. His name was Luke and he was supposedly like the big love of her life and everything. And she started college and did all this other stuff. But not too long after that, I guess that both her and Luke sort of realized, and I think Luke realized it before she did, that Scarlett was kind of only doing what she thought she was supposed to be doing, like in regards to adulting. And she was constantly like 
subsuming her own identity to Luke's, I guess. Like, in a way, it's like, he's like, did you really want to come to this town? Did you really want to go to college and do this, that, and the other? You're not really doing what you want to do. And you're kind of, like, losing you know, the the person that I fell in love with because now you're just, like, doing what I what I want to do. And he didn't really want to be responsible for that. So he actually kind of, like, gently breaks it off with her. He's like, you know, you, you need to go back to being you instead of just, like, an adjunct to me. You know what I mean? Which, you know, that, that was, like, pretty cool of him to do. But uh, she didn't really think so at the time, but she did kind of, like, realize it later on. So after they break up, she kind of, like, goes back to her hometown, like, with her tail between her legs a little bit. And she moves back in with her dad. Now, she's also been contemplating ending her YouTube channel, even though she apparently has, like, you know, millions of fans, and it used to be something she really quite enjoyed, but at the beginning, she just feels, like, at a loss, and she doesn't really know what to do with her life, so she's just kind of like, I'm gonna make a video and tell everybody that I'm quitting, or whatever. Now, also factoring into the plot is Scarlett's brother, Tommy, who seems about the same age, you know, roughly. Uh, now, he was actually an aspiring professional baseball player, like he was going to be in the MLB and everything like that, and he had to end up foregoing his dreams after, like, this injury ended his sports career, which factors into the plot, like, later on. Uh, you also have Tommy's girlfriend and Scarlett's former best friend, whose name is Hannah, and she's actually been having a really, really hard time uh, dealing with the fairly recent death of her mother, whose name was Eve. And then there's also Jackson, who is a bartender and Scarlett's close friend. Now, he's con sort of contending with a very, very strained relationship with his father, who I think is like the Winterview chief of police or something like that. And he's a real hard-ass type, like, you know, nothing that Jackson ever does is good enough. And, you know, there, there just seems like no love loss there. Um, he also seems to have, like, some unrequited romantic feelings for Scarlett, which she doesn't seem to be all that aware of because she kind of just sees him as more of, like, a buddy. So all three of these other characters also harbor, I don't want to lean too hard into this, but they kind of harbor maybe like differing levels of resentment towards Scarlet for like taking off with Luke, like this random dude, without really saying goodbye to like her friends that she's known forever. Um, Hannah's feelings of abandonment, I feel like are, you know, very easily the most pronounced because she feels like Scarlet threw away like this lifelong friendship for just some rando and was, you know, hence not there to help her through a grief like after her mother died. Now, once Scarlet comes back into town, like at the beginning of the book though, um, it seems like the four of them still kind of, like, hang out and try to resolve their differences, but they do kind of, like, snipe at one another about these sort of simmering resentments. Now, what about this house that fell from the sky <laughs> of the title, you might be asking? Well, we'll get to that, although I will warn you that even though a house does indeed fall from the sky, as the title uh, promises, you know, fairly early on in the story, it then kind of like simmers on the back burner for like a really long time while a bunch of this character stuff plays out like these relationship kind of things. How you feel about that is kind of like up to you, but it was by far the main criticism that I saw in other reviews of this novel, other than the characters seem like teenagers, but that, you know, some people didn't really care about that. But the main criticism I saw in other reviews was that it took too long to get into the actual house. And yeah, I do admit that to an extent, I agree with that. This is a long ass book. It's about 528 pages, at least the Kindle version, which is what I read. And I think that the thing was more than half over before the heroes even set foot in the house. So just know going in that this is essentially like a character study or is like more about the relationships between the four core characters for the first 
250, 300 pages, something like that, with just the promise of this house kind of lurking around in the background. So as I mentioned, not too long into the story, the titular house uh, actually does come crashing down just randomly in the middle of downtown Winterview one day, and everyone is completely and understandably quite baffled by this development. Uh, the house looks all kind of like gothic and spooky. It's a big like mansion kind of thing. It's very spooky looking. And it soon becomes clear that something about it is, um, let's call it otherworldly, okay? Now, the authorities, uh, they kind of rope it off after trying and failing to get inside, but on the handful of occasions that someone does manage to get into the house or get past the house's defenses, I guess, um, there's actually like a rival horror YouTuber guy that is trying to get in there for his channel and like a rookie cop who gets in there. They basically kind of like go insane and kill themselves like basically within seconds of emerging from the house. So the house actually becomes kind of like a worldwide media sensation, which obviously it would in real life. And it subsequently gets purchased by this kind of shady conglomerate known as the Crow Corporation. Now, after all of this stuff happens and like there's a big media hype and everything like that, which like I said, is kind of in the background or like on the fringes of the main story with the four characters. Um, and actually a year in Winterview goes by and the house is pretty much reduced to, like I said, kind of like background noise. Like the main characters sort of talk about it every now and then, of course. And, uh, you know, cause it's kind of a big thing in their town. And there's concern that Hannah in particular might be becoming really obsessed with it. But overall, um, you know, Scarlett, Tommy, and Jackson are just kind of going about their regular, somewhat dead-end lives, having conversations about the house sometimes, but mainly about other things and about their past and stuff like that. But then, the Crow Corporation, which that is one minor criticism, is I kind of wish more had been gone into about the Crow Corporation. You don't really find out hardly anything about them. And I don't know if he's planning on, like, another book like where he's going to go more into that or anything but you know that's just like a minor little quibble and I just thought I would mention it but uh at some point like the Crow Corporation announces kind of like a Willy Wonka style contest and it's like this lottery where they send out tickets to everybody in Winterview so the lucky people whose numbers get drawn will be allowed to enter the house on Halloween night if they can survive and if they can survive the entire night there and come out unscathed, which so far has not happened, um, they will receive one million dollars each in prize money. Now, obviously, uh, everyone kind of wants to do it, but kind of not because the house also seems to have like a little bit of. Uh, like bad energy, bad mojo that kind of like leaks out. Like, you know, so the nearer you are to the house, like the more kind of fucked up you feel. And, um, you know, people that have been in there, like I said, they either like they committed suicide or they went insane or whatever. So it will probably not surprise anyone since they are reading this book that our four protagonists are the ones who end up going in. Now, the way this ends up happening is a little bit convoluted because Hannah whose mother actually left her a considerable fortune, like, you know, buying a big fucking mansion that is kind of, like, empty. She just, like, lives in there and grieves kind of thing. Um, she essentially buys her way into the house because she's convinced that her dead mother's spirit, I guess, is, like, waiting for her in there. Like I said, she's kind of become obsessed with it. 
After this development, the other three kind of feel obligated to go with her because, you know, she's their best friend and they just want to make sure that she's going to be okay and that like nothing terrible is going to happen because they try to like convince her not to because they're like you know you're going to die in there pretty much but she is absolutely dead set so they're like well then we have to go with her obviously so uh yeah that's the thing it's like by this time pretty much everybody is damn sure that the house probably came from some other dimension and is you know almost certainly bad news for anybody that goes in there um and they're probably not going to come out alive or sane so at a little past the halfway mark of the novel, I feel like, our main characters, along with a fifth character, uh, who's kind of like this elusive magician, whose name is Vincent Veladex, he's another character that I wish had been in the story more. Like, he's kind of mentioned in the first part of it, like, oh, he was this famous musician, uh, magician, like, the, the most famous guy, like, from this town or whatever, and he, like, disappeared, you know what I mean? But then he kind of, like, pops back up, and, you know, some people thought the house was, like, a trick that he was doing, like, to, you know, it was, like, this whole thing. But I kind of wish, like, he was hardly in it like he was just mentioned in the first part but then he shows up and he's one of the ones that's going to go into the house with them once they go into the house pretty much all lovecraftian hell breaks loose now we never really learn much about the house's history other than just kind of like a few very rudimentary details um and we never really grasp fully like what the house is exactly like i said it's very much a cosmic horror type of situation but i will say that kind of the saga of the four of them or the five of them rather like inside the house is pretty cool regardless so there's like lots of trippy descriptions of eldritch horrors and so forth um as the house it, it essentially seems to be like trying to break the minds of everybody that enters it so there are also a lot of flashbacks in this part of the book as well as the characters like become separated and they sort of like fall foul of the house's uh you know charms i guess or like what it's trying to do like it's trying to drive them insane like showing them horrible things and i will say that although some of the flashbacks um you know are relevant to like what's happening um you know particularly how they ended up meeting vincent Veladex, like the magician and like how he factors in and things like that and how tommy uh, you know, hurt his arm and stuff. Some of it, not so much. Um, you know, they're interesting, but some of them don't really factor into the plot all that what all that much. So I do kind of wish that the novel had been trimmed for length a tad, um, because some of the background character stuff doesn't really factor that much into the larger plot. Like I said, it's interesting. It's all character background stuff, but I feel like it would have been, you know, better if some of it had been trimmed out because it didn't seem like it was all that important. That said, though. Uh, the characters are actually, like, pretty well-drawn, and I admit that I did become, like, really emotionally invested in their fate. So, like, when bad shit happened to them, like, I did get upset and things like that. So, you know, that's that's good. Like, that's a, that's a sign that I did actually, like, care about the characters. But um, in spite of that, I did kind of wish that the balance of the story had kind of been tipped more in the direction of, like, the creepy, crazy house stuff that was going on and kind of less in scenes of you know, the characters just talking about, like, the before time, like, before Scarlet left and before all this other stuff and, like, all the relationship kind of stuff. Some of that was important, like, for you to get emotionally invested in the characters, but I don't think it needed to be as much in there, and I kind of wish that they had done more with the house or they had gone into the house earlier. 
Because, one, I mean, once you get in the house, like, the sequences inside the house are really, really vividly described. And some of the imagery is, like, legit scary. Now, I don't think that I would call this book overly scary as a whole. Um, but some of the imagery is kind of, like, disturbing in a very cosmic horror sort of way. Like, it's sort of like... The Haunting of Hill House, like, more the Netflix series than the novel I'm talking about, where it's just kind of, like, more about the character stuff and then, like, the the paranormal or the weird shit is kind of, like, in the background or, like, around the margins. Um, and it kind of reminded me, I don't know if I'd go so far in this direction, but it's a little bit like Silent Hill. I don't know if that's, it's just a little bit, you know what I mean? Um, and it's just kind of, like, all mashed up together with sort of, like, tripping on a low dose of acid type of thing. Um, because, like, while they're inside the house... Essentially, time becomes meaningless, and the characters kind of go through things where they seemingly die and then, like, return to life in a different spot in the mansion with little to no memory of what happened or how long they've been in there and things like that. So, the mansion is sort of, like, purgatorial in that sense, I guess, but... As I mentioned, I kind of wish that more of the house's history and construction and, like, its essence had been explained. And I kind of wish that we'd gone more, a little bit more into what the Crow Corporation was, how they knew about the house, um, why they offered this particular uh, contest, why they wanted people to go in there. Like, some of the people that they found when they were in there, like, what was that about? I kind of want, wish there had been more of that. But, you know, I mean, to be fair, the characters in the novel, like, from their point of view, wouldn't have known what the fuck was up with this place, so maybe it was better to leave it mysterious because you're seeing things from their perspective and they didn't know anything about the house. They were just kind of experiencing it as they experienced it. So overall, I found this like a really enjoyable read. Now I will note that it took me way longer than usual to get through it. Um, I don't know if that was necessarily because it was really long or I wasn't into it or something like that. I think it was more because I was kind of obligated to read it like on my phone, like in short chunks over, you know, a week or so of, like, lunch hours from work. So it, that's not really conducive to total immersion in the story when you're just reading things, like, on a tiny phone, like, in hour-long chunks, and I couldn't really, like, de fully devote, like, a day to it or anything like that. Um, I will say I really, really like the descriptions of the house and the sort of, like, nightmarish journey of the characters as they explored it. And I really did, like, appreciate the time that was spent building up the characters' backstories. Um, and, you know, each of them had their own arc and their own problems, and I thought that was good. Um, but that said, I kind of wish the protagonist had gone into the house earlier, like I said, and more had been revealed about the house's true nature, maybe, and about what the Crow Corporation's deal was. I also would have liked... Vincent Veladex, the magician, to have factored into the story more throughout. Like, it would have been cool, like, in the first half of the book, like, if we had maybe seen, like, a few scenes from his point of view. But maybe, I don't know, maybe Patrick Delaney, the author, maybe he wanted it to be like, hey, surprise, like, the guy just turns up in the middle, even though he'd just been mentioned, like, beforehand, so it was more like a surprise. Um, you know, so I guess I can kind of see that uh, as well. But, I mean, he was really interesting. He was maybe, I mean, I really liked Scarlet, the main character, but I think Victor Veladex was probably, like, the most interesting character character and I kind of wanted to know more about him like what his deal was because you didn't really find out much about his past or why he turned up at this particular time or anything like I mean you do kind of find out but you know it, it just didn't seem like enough um the characters like I mentioned did also read significantly younger uh, than people in their late 20s but really like I said that didn't really bother me all that much um you know they were all kind of like horror nerds and stuff like that which I'm that too so it's really didn't read is all that weird to me. Um, there was also kind of like this 
sort of, I really liked this sort of small town wistfulness vibe, like to them and like to the characters uh, and to the story, because they were just like the characters, I feel like were just beginning to realize that all of these big aspirations that they had as teenagers and young adults um, were probably never going to come to pass and life wasn't like working out the way that they wanted. And I thought that gave the story like a little bit of depth in that regard. So if you like sort of like Lovecraftian type stories, because this does have like a Lovecraftian bent to it. Um, and if you're willing to kind of be patient with a book that is very intensely character focused and relationship focused rather than maybe horror focused for the first large portion of the story, like until they actually go into the house, then, you know, it's free on Kindle Unlimited. Uh, if you have a subscription, like, you know, maybe give it a whirl. It was actually a fantastic story concept. I really liked the idea. Um, and even though it didn't quite live up to its sort of like amazing premise. Um, I still had a really good time with it and I was pretty satisfied with the way that it ended. Now there is actually another, a second book, which I think is called Silver's Hollow. And it's not super long. It's only like, it's more like novella length. And it's sort of set in the same universe as this, I think, but I don't think it's like a sequel or anything. Like at least I haven't read it, but I went and looked at like the description and it doesn't look like the same characters or anything like that. But I just thought I would mention it because Silver's Hollow is another town that factors into this book. So I guess he's doing like an extended mythos type with these same towns where he's setting all these stories in the same towns. But he's written some other books too, but I just thought I would mention that one. I don't think it's a sequel. Like I said, it didn't sound like it, but apparently it's kind of set in a, the same universe or the same town or something like that. So that will do it for this Tomes of Terror book review. Uh, please like, share, and comment if you enjoy this content. And I will see you guys again on the next one. Bye.